Persian Crucis de Dimitris Nostris Libros Deus Noster in Amenipati Filipitus Santi Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins, for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. As you know, we've arrived at the uh, end of the liturgical year, so this is really the last day of the year. Tomorrow, we begin with the first Sunday of Advent as we prepare for Jesus' birthday, his coming into the world. As we know, it'll be a time of penance and preparation. But the last day of the year, it turns out, providentially today for us, is also a great, a great feast day, a great solemnity, because it's as though the bow was tied. When you make a present, you, you put the contents in, in a nice box, then you wrap it, you make sure you can't see the scotch tape too much, and then you put a bow, you put a nice ribbon, then a bow on top, and you make it so that you can pull the bow and everything falls. And it's the last thing you do when you wrap a present. And uh, the bow, the, the thing that holds together the work, the, the, the ribbon and the bow that makes the work that comes from God, that makes it kind of hold together and makes, makes it constitutively beautiful is, is the fact that uh, the church has recognized it officially as a personal prelature which, as you know, took place on November 28th, 1982. And so this is the anniversary of the Apostolic Constitution, Utsit. It starts with those two words, Utsit, which gave the work a canonical form of a personal prodigy. The work had already a great spirit, it already had a great apostolate, we had, uh, we had uh, vocations, the different vocations, as our Father envisioned, envisioned them from October 2nd, 1928. But it still had to be fully recognized, and it still had to be wrapped, and it still had to be presentable as a beautiful gift for God and for the Church, ultimately. And uh, it took time. It took time for that gift to be wrapped, but that was finished 38 years ago, 1982. And uh, you could say that, of course, it made Don Alvaro very happy. He wished that our father had been able to see the gift. Of course, our father died before. But it also made Pope John Paul II very happy, who had studied the whole thing. And he, not only that, he had a, he had a special commission organized to study 
the establishment of the work as a personal prelature and when he, he established it and then some years later there was a, a special congress about on the, on, on the uh, centennial of uh, our father in 2002 and he gathered thousands and thousands of people of the work on this special congress so tons of people came and there was a special audience with, the, with Pope John Paul II and he said there that the, the structure of the prelature enables the special mission of uh, the work he said to converge with the evangelizing efforts of each particular church so throughout the world there are dioceses there are churches and so what our father envisioned is that we converge we we are not working against uh, of course those particular churches and he said um, that it was most appropriate for us this structure of the prelature in light of that vision that our father received that was the key that it be in light of the vision you could have had you have lots of international institutions that that serve uh, the church very well and do a great job you know but that the uh, like religious institutions they're all pretty much international but our father had a special vision and uh, because after all there are many ways of serving the church but this structure had to fit that vision because that vision we know that vision was not simply a vision of our, fa our father or somehow some personal idea of his that he was absolutely holding on to. It was really recognized as a vision that came from God. It was like a gift from God. But the gift still had to be had to be fully wrapped and finished and and recognized as such. And and that took time. It took time. At first it was recognized in terms of the idea the the message itself was recognized elements of the structure but the whole thing was not fully in concordance with that mission or rather that that vision that our father had that constitutes certain elements so we give thanks to god now because for years what we now consider like a fait accompli, uh, we consider it a, a normal thing that we're a prelature. We don't even, you know, we, we rarely even, probably don't even use the word that much, right? But for years it was called the special intention. The special intention. Special. Right? Meaning it was important. It was worth, worth offering hardships and suffering for even lives for and now of course the special attention seems somewhat distant but at that time for years it meant changing hearts and changing minds and people would offer their work for something they would offer their work maybe for somebody's vocation or they would offer their work for some hardship that somebody was going through in the family, a difficulty, 
some some suffering of some kind and they would pray and 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 often they would offer their work and they would offer the next uh, two or three hours of work for something and that person would come about there, there would be a change of heart and mind but those years people would also pray for the special intention they would have a headache and somebody would go and say look I have a headache now you might tell the priest you know, I have a headache I have I have uh, or worse things I have just been diagnosed with diabetes and uh, I don't know we'll offer it for the special intention special attention and people had a vague notion of what it was but they knew that it was in some way for the good of the church that that offering that was for the good of the church it would allow the work to serve the mission of the church more in line with that that vision of our father and therefore more effectively so since 1982, November 28, 1982, 38 years ago, the, the, the Church has recognized Opus Dei as a personal prelature, as part of the hierarchical structure of the Church. It's part of the structure. It's like a diocese, but it's personal. And in fact, the prelature even it's had its influence in other, other jurisdictions, like the military ordinariate, the Anglican ordinariate, they have the same basic structure, even though the name is slightly different, but it's the basic, same basic idea. So what is our, what is the intention now? What is the special intention now? Did it just disappear? I think for, for, if for years people were praying for the special intention, that the work be established and recognized finally in a definitive way, well now, now we have the Father's intention. And uh, w what is the Father's intention? Well, of course, it's not that He knows things that we do not know and He has a special intention about something secret that we don't know about. Mm -hmm. But uh, when we say pray for the Father's intention without exactly knowing what that is, we know that we are channeling our prayers we are offering our prayers for the good of the church. And when you use that expression, the, the intentions of the Father, we, we don't mean necessarily that, uh, I don't know, he has some unique specific thing. It's really for the good of the church and the mission of the church and so that we can realize that mission that we have in the church. And so we can channel our prayers, our, our little petitions. When we pray a prayer card, when we look at an image of Our, Our Lady, like here, or this image of St. Joseph, we can simply, quite simply get into that habit of saying, okay, uh, I can pray for this person with cancer, I can pray for this other hardship, but I can pray for the intentions of the Father. It's, an, it's like an all-encompassing, <coughs> excuse me, all-encompassing um, intention. Now we know that ever since the Second Vatican Council, this historic event in the church, never, never had there been so many bishops come together and so much thought gone into one single, uh, one single great uh, meeting. Because it wasn't just the council itself, it was also 
literally over a century before there had been preparation for this council in terms of the theology, in terms of uh, uh, the, the liturgy and the preparation and all the thought that went into it. And, uh, and so during this council, the, this figure of the personal prelature was established in uh, the decree on priests, presbyterium ordinis, with regards to how you distribute priests. That was in 1965. So it had just a little, kind of just a little generic reference in that. It was about priests and how priests should be, and it wasn't very long. It was a short decree, but, and some people at that time complained that it should have been longer. You know, priests say, like, you know, like, come on, man, like, we deserve a little bit more, you know, but it was just like a few pages, you know, a few numbers, and, uh, but it was like very concise. And one of the points is about how do we distribute priests better? What if there was one place that has tons and tons of priests and, and, and another place like this, you can't see a priest for, uh, you know, for the next uh, 20 blocks or whatever it is, you know, like the, for the next two or three towns, there's no priest. And people have to drive and, you know, and when, I, when I was younger in Montreal, you go one block, there's a church. Another block, there's another church. Another block, there's another church. <laughs> Uh, because in those days, uh, when it was all built, there were people didn't have cars, so they had to walk to church. Maybe they took uh, horse and buggy, I don't know, but uh, now you can just get on the highway and get to church. So, how do we distribute? Well, that, that, that was all considered in the Second Vatican Council. And then, later on, Pope Paul VI sketched out the conciliar provisions in more, let's say, legislative detail, right? And he he put out this what's called a motu proprio, called Ecclesia Sancte. It's a it's a it's just a personal not personal, but it's a on the initiative of the Holy Father. And uh, and and so, well, for many years, um, the Father had been praying that the ecclesial authorities could confirm this fundamental reality, which is part of the vision of our Father, that is, the unity of the members of Opus Dei, the unity of the, rather, the unity of the vocation of the members of Opus Dei, so that the, the Church would recognize in an official way uh, the unity and guarantee the condition of the lay people and the secular nature of the priests. That, that was not assured before that, before 1982. That was like, if you were an Opus Dei, you were kind of like a religious. Or at least, even though you didn't dress as a religious, even though you didn't call yourself religious, even though you didn't consecrate yourself as a religious, well, if you had to fill out a form in the Vatican, it would say, it would say uh, you are religious here. You know, they, that's what they would say. And for that matter, the same thing was for priests. They weren't clearly secular priests. It wasn't clear anyway. So, um, so that's why Pope John Paul II, when he made that that audience, had that audience with all those people, he underlined right from the start of the audience because I'm sure that that, that text that he gave back in 2001 was well prepared, but he, 
he was very happy to say that there is an organic collaboration between priests and laity in the prelature. It's organic. Some people don't know what that means, organic, but it really means that one needs the other. You can't have one without the other in the prelature. The lay people are really lay people, the priests are really secular priests, but the prelature is not just some nice lay people doing sports and doing cool things and doing catechism, teaching nice stuff, of which there are many institutes that are lay, that are very good people, like, you know, I don't know, Knights of Columbus, you know, whatever. But we're not the Knights of Columbus. God bless them. They do great things. But we also need priests that have the exact same spirit as the lay people. And the lay people, lay people need priests, and, but the priests need the lay people. So it's like organic. One needs the other. It's like, uh, I don't know if it's yin and yang, but uh, <laughs> maybe that's the wrong expression, but uh, uh, one needs the other. It's not a nice group of lay people who say, oh, by the way, can you help us, Father, with uh, uh, giving this uh, talk or giving this meditation? And nor is it uh, priests saying, oh yeah, we're going we're gonna to get a group of lay people to go out and, and do good stuff in the church and on mission. No, one needs the other. Mm-hmm. And um, wh- so when we look at uh, the life of our father for years, what did he, what did he actually pray for? What, what was he praying for? I mean, yes, he was praying for the recognition of the church, but but he was praying that there would be a, a canonical instrument in the church that, that the work needed for its ordinary governance. And it didn't exist at the time. There were either you know, lay associations, there were religious orders, but that was not the kind of governance that, governance that the, 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 the work needed. So it needed, uh, the, the work needed a, a uh, let's say an instrument, a canonical instrument for the work's ordinary governance so that the head of the work wasn't the prelate at that time but the head of the work would be able to oversee the apostolic work in the different countries throughout the world right? and um, that that governance was not local, it wasn't just in one city, it wasn't just in Madrid or just in I don't know where but it was international because the work is international. And so not limited just to one territory. And all this would have to fall within the common law of the church. And at the same time, he didn't want us to be an exception or a privilege. So that, uh, so that he didn't want the members of the, prelate of the, of the work to be to be like um, to cease being members of the diocese, we are, you know, the, the the lay faithful. Not not so much the priests here, but the lay faithful have to be members of the diocese. You, you know, the supernumeraries. They all go to mass in their diocese. They get married in their diocese. They go to baptism in their diocese. They do all that stuff in their diocesan parishes, right? That's and they belong full, like fully, they're not separate, they're not, uh, you know, 
Therefore, they also depend on their local bishop, like other faithful of the diocese. They do the stuff that other people, if the bishop says, no communion in the tongue, well, we follow that, because we're members of the diocese. We can't say, oh no, we're special. We are special. We are privileged, because, no, no, the bishop says, look, the corona is doing this to us, so, you know, we have to follow When we were a secular institute, that's what we were before, before everything was all, before 1982, um, well, uh, we did not do a lot of things that secular institutes do, like take vows, but that was, that was an exception, right? So people say, well, why don't you just be a secular institute, but then don't take vows? Yeah, but then you're an exception. That we, don't want, we, we just want to be a normal part of the governance of the church. Obviously, we can't imagine a supernumerary taking vows. So, so then they'd say, well, supernumerary doesn't have to take it. But, but, but that's an exception. But of course, religious, when they, when they buy stuff, when they, you know, they, they, I don't know, they buy a car or something, well, they have to get a special dispensation to be able to buy a car because they're supposed to be religious, so they're not supposed to own any property. So the supernumerary would get a special dispensation to buy a house or a car or I don't know what. And they're normal people. Like, they should just buy their cars. Whether it's a Maserati, that's another question. (laughs) But, uh, so our father had this dream and it took a uh, a while for it to be realized. It's, it's, it's amazing that for him the dream was just I want us to be normal that's all I want to be normal for most people well I am normal that's not a dream that's just I'm, that's life you know I'm, I'm normal I'm like everybody else yeah but that's what we want and uh, that's why the unity of vocation was something very special you know, that, that there were no classes of members or degrees of incorporation. And we've seen in the recent letter that the Father wrote from October 28th that uh, the, the, the Father wrote a beautiful letter explaining the unity of the vocation. And if you haven't read it yet, uh, I'm sure you'll like, get a chance soon. And we should get people to read this uh, because there he outlines how each vocation in the work plays its special role and how it can be discerned, right? So that people ask, should I be a supernumerary? Should I be an assistant numerary? Should I be a numerary? Should I be a, a, an associate? Among the, among the lay people, right? And, um, and then among the numerary men, some are asked, do you want to be a priest? Or they're not actually asked that. They're asked, do you want to go to Rome to study? Maybe to be a priest. <laughs> Maybe. And they say, well, I'd like to go to Rome. That'd be cool. Yeah. But, uh, but do you want to be, are you open to be a priest? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not well, then maybe 
you want to keep working. No. But uh, <laughs> but if you say I'm open, I'm open, but I'm not sure. Well, then that's fine. Go, go. Let's do it. Let's go. Okay, because you know, it takes time. You have to discern. You have to think about it and stuff like that, right? So. But if in the end, after four years, or however many, even two years, or one year, you say, you know, I'm not into this thing of being a priest. I like theology, I like philosophy, I like canon art, I like these people, it's a nice place, but I can't see myself, for whatever reason, everybody has their reasons. I'm just like being an engineer, I just love being an engineer, it's just, it's just, that's, you know, whatever, whatever reason, People discern, right? They are able to discern these things. Mm. And they just can't see themselves as numerous being a priest. Our father would say, and the, f the current father would say it, no problemo, right? No problemo. Right? So I remember when I was in Rome, they, you know, they would have around, actually around this time, usually we would hear the names of the new ordinandos, so that, that is the, the people the, in the seminary or in the international seminary, we call it Cava Bianca, uh, that would be become deacons, and then they would become later on, a few months later, they would become uh, priests. But within uh, two three months, they would become deacons. So the names are are made public. There would be twenty thirty names or something like that, depending, and they would say, "Oh, we got the names of the ordinandi." Oh. Wow. And oh, so and so is becoming ordained. Oh, so and so, and and we would go, and then we. But it was a bit awkward. You didn't congratulate them. It was oh, I heard you're getting going. Oh, very good. I'm praying for you. It, it, you know, because you don't congratulate. It's not like you, the guy's getting a higher position or something like that, right? But uh, anyway, so I remember one time there were I don't know how many there were thirty or so, and um, and um, and then. I think it's a week or two two weeks before they're ordained, they have to do their, their retreat. It's a pre-ordination retreat. That's the normal canonical requirement. And, um, well, one of the persons who was on the list did the retreat, and I don't know if it was halfway through or something, said, that's it, I'm not getting ordained, I don't want to get ordained, no problem. And uh, we already knew he was already on the list, he was already approved, so to speak, right? He was already on the conveyor belt, but uh, but uh, he got off the conveyor belt, and uh, no problem. There was no it was no disaster. It was perfectly fine. I was impressed how um, how can I say it was it was just uh, just well done, right? Well done. He was not forced into this. He was not uh, so yeah. So the, that's the, the priest, and then there's this full secularity of the faithful of Opus Dei, without ever, without ever being assimilated to the religious, or what we call today the consecrated life, which is a good thing, but it, it's not what we are. And uh, plus, we need the formation and incarnation of the numerary men to in in the. In the, in the clergy of the prelature, that we are incarnated in the prelature itself. There has to be the authority of the prelate, right? And, uh, um, and yet we are also, you could say, involved in the, in the 
activities of the local diocese as well, the priest, that is. So it's an interdiocesan configuration without exemptions, without special exemptions from, from the bishop. And we do our apostolate. This enriches us, and of course, we know it enriches the church. And so we know that John Paul II understood the work very well. Not only understood it, but he loved the work very well. It went very well, he, very much. He must have had wonderful conversations with uh, Don Alvaro and Don Javier. I think it was part of God's uh, providence that John Paul II played that special role in the history of the work. That's why we have a great veneration for him and uh, we pray to him. I would say that John Paul II protects us and, and, and watch over, watches over each one of us in a, in a unique way. And he said in that, I just finished with this, uh, he said, uh, the organic way that the priests and lady work together is one of those privileged areas where pastoral activity will take life and, and be strengthened. Activity marked by that new energy which has encouraged us all since the great jubilee and the great jubilee year 2000 new energy that's what he liked he was getting old he was he was could barely talk he was like you know alzheimer's but he talked about new energy isn't that wonderful and so uh, we need always to have that spirit of new energy let let's ask for this uh, now to our blessed mother to saint john paul ii and um, we pray of course naturally pray for Pope Benedict, and we pray for um, Pope Francis as well, because our Father taught us to have a great respect and veneration for the popes, always as part of our as part of our spirit. So we always respect them and obey them and whatever. But John Paul II, he you know he has uh, a special place in our heart. Saint John Paul II, pray for us. And thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations that you have communicated to me in this meditation, I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.